All right, church, since about four or five weeks ago when the last time I shared with you, I can tell you I weigh more now than I've ever weighed before. Some of you are looking at me. Some of them stopped me out there and said, Pastor Trina, are you losing weight? Uh, I've lost 30 pounds in the last five weeks. Don't necessarily cheer because it's not necessarily been a, an easy struggle. But I wasn't kidding when I said I weigh more now than I ever weighed before. Because after that message, God dealt with me all night long. After that week that followed, God dealt with me and he drove me into scripture and he laid a burden, a weight on me like I have never had before for his church and his people. And I am heavy. I am heavy with the weight of God's church and his people. Heavier than I've ever been before. My bones ache from the weight of where God has taken me. He woke me up at 2.30 in the morning and dealt with me all night long. And he took me to a, a scripture. And I shared with you last time, I'm usually preaching the scripture wherever God's working on me at. So guess what? It may just be for me today. But I dare say that some of you sitting out here are bearing the weight of the body of this church. So I think God gives us the word that we need to hear. And God develops that in your heart. He developed in me over the last several weeks that I would go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So go ahead and start turning there. We're going to cover 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a lot of it. I would love to cover all of it because I believe all of it needs to be covered for our people but we don't have enough time. I'm not sure I can get through all of what he's given me for today. But we're going to start at chapter 12, verse 12. This is a simple verse. It, a lot of Paul's writings are confusing. A lot of Paul's writings are, are hard to understand. A guy who's writing information to the churches that is not in his native language. Sometimes things I feel like get a little hard to understand and you got to just dig and dig and dig. This one's not hard. This one is maybe the easiest passage that I feel like Paul might ever wrote. I get it. It's not hard to understand. So read with me, starting at verse 12. For just as a body is one... And has many members, all of the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part of the body that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's not hard to understand. Maybe I should just be done. Maybe I should say, where are you in the body? Are you suffering with each other? Are you rejoicing with each other? Go ahead, come and respond. Maybe that's where we should close. I think the message is deep. Not all that hard to understand, but it's vastly deep. Why is Paul talking to the church of Corinth about the body? Well, I think it's really, really important when we read scripture, we don't just take one piece here and there and, and divide it up. We should read massive chunks of it, and then we should analyze who is the audience, who is the author, why is he using this terminology, why is he speaking to this people in this way, what are they dealing with that he would speak to them in this way? Well, let me tell you about the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth, uh, Corinth itself, the city was a wealthy city. It's kind of a, a city across the bay from Athens. Uh, Athens and Corinth had a little bit of a sibling rivalry going on. Athens didn't care much for Corinth. Corinth just didn't care. So Corinth was a little bit of a hedonistic city. They were full of the lapse of luxury. They were absorbing everything that they could. During that time, cities with seaports were major hubs of interaction. Athens had a seaport on the Aegean Sea, and they were a major hub. They were the major intellectual hub of their time. But what Athens had in brains, Corinth had in muscle and other things, wealth and luxury, because not only were they a seaport also on the Aegean Sea, but they had on the other side of Corinth a seaport on the Mediterranean Sea. So they had, were fed from both sides. They were on an isthmus between two seas. They were the hub of their activity. As much as we hear of Athens, Corinth was a provincial capital of Greece during the Roman Empire. Corinth held a greater position. If you look at some of the ancient writings of those from Athens, they took shots at Corinth a lot because of their debauchery. You see, Corinth was, again, a sexually hedonistic town. 
even to the point that their patron god was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, to where they built a major temple to Aphrodite. And ancient writers tell us that there's over a thousand prostitutes inside the temple of Aphrodite that serviced those of wealth and the city leaders. They were very much a a town of wealth and luxury. A lot of us can remember uh, back a few years, if you're old enough, Ricardo Montalban, rich Corinthian leather, right? When he was selling Chrysler cars, the word Corinthian even today still has an indication of wealth and luxury. And that was Corinth. That's what they dealt with. Corinth was also a major athletic hub. The Isthmus Games, one of the earliest Olympic-style games, were held right there on the edge of the city of Corinth. And they knew what it was like to have a fit, trained, athletic body. They were full of competition. It sounds like wealthy towns and wealthy people today who had competition with one another. We still do. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. If you don't believe me, get on Facebook. Uh-huh. If, how many of you? Don't raise your hand. You'll be embarrassed. How many of you look and say, look at that family. They got it all together. Man, look at those family pictures. Man, if my, fam- my family is out there doing that, we would take 10 hours to get those pictures. We would never get a picture that looked like that. If my family was like that, what you didn't know, it took them 36 takes to get that picture. Oh, one more time, one more time. We put out there on social media our best of our best when underneath our body is ugly. And we're sitting there on the other side of the keyboard going, I wish I had that. No, you don't. We're in competition still today. So why did he use the body? Because Corinth understood the body. They understood the fit body. They understood the body in many different ways, let's just say. But I also think it's because the body is actually understandable and will stand the test of time. I dare say everyone in here, while you might not love your body, you love your body. I would dare say many of you in here wouldn't because you don't like your biceps cut off your arm because you, because you love your body. You don't want to hurt. That's why you don't do crazy things. As you get older, you surely don't, you do even less and less crazy things because knees aren't the same. And you protect different areas of your body because you know, hey, if I jump off this stage right now, both knees blow out, both ankles break. I ain't going to do it. Now, when I was 17 years old, I tried to do a backflip off this stage. You love your body. The imagery of the body stands the test of time. The body will forever stand the test of time, just like the word of God. So why does Paul use the imagery of the body? Because it stands the test of time. It speaks to the people of Corinth because that's what they were in every day. But it speaks to us still today. Corinth doesn't really, when you get down to it, it don't sound a whole lot different than us, does it? We knew that the church at Corinth had some division and fighting and tugging. It starts out in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, hey, let there be no division among you. By the way, Chloe's people, they've already let me know. They've already let me know. 
that there's some infighting going on here. There's some battles going on here. There's some divisiveness. Let that not happen. By saying Chloe's people, Paul gives an indication that there's more than one set of people, and hey, this set of people told me. Isn't that how we happen in the church today sometimes? That this set of people has this story, and this set of people has this story, and this set of people has this story, and guess what? We're telling others our story however we want our story to be. And Paul's saying, you know what he says about division in the church? You know what it says in the Bible about division in the church? To not to. That's what it says. To not to. To not disturb the unity of believers. To be one body. Let's dig into that scripture and see what he's talking about. For just as one body, or just as the body is one. Trust me, I worked in the EMS very long time. If your body's not all connected, it's not a good day. It's not a good day. I've been at several people's really bad days because their bodies wasn't connected. For just as the body is one and has many members, let me stop there. Any member missing from the body on my days in the EMS, any any piece or part made it a bad day, even little pieces. Just as the body has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the spirit. The body is to be one. The body is one. Well, what's the key to the body being one? Well, there's many members. How is the body united? It's right there. The last two words in verse 12. With Christ. With Christ. The body can only be one with Christ. This is very clear throughout Scripture. Here's what I know. The body, at least in my studies for the past several weeks, I can find about 102 times that the body is referenced inside of Scripture. We know the repetitive use of something inside of Scripture gives greater value or points to that thing specifically. The body is referenced as the church at least 102 times that I witnessed in my study. It's probably more than that. That's pretty significant. But the body can only be one with Christ. Trust me, most any individual member of your body can be cut off and you survive. Fingers, arms, legs, feet. But there's only one part of your body that cannot be removed and the body survive. What is that part? The head. It's not hard to figure out. There's only one part of your body that can be removed that would cause the destruction of the entire body the head so as it is with Christ the head of the church that we would be submitted to the body of Christ subject under the head Colossians 1:18 says he is also head of the body that's pretty straightforward 
And then it says, comma, the church. He is to be, he is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So how can, the be, how can the body be one, functioning together as one, doing their part as one? Well, they are submitted, completely subjected under the authority of the headship of Christ. That's it. And guess what? Any failure on individual members of the body reflect on the head. Why? Because let me give you an illustration. If I brought 10 people up here and I put bags over their head backstage and I walk them out here and I ask you to say, who is that? Well, apart from some of us, that's pretty obvious. If I put a bag over their head and I walked them out here, I would say, who is that? And you're going to say, huh? Why? Because we're known by this. We're known by our faith. Many of us around here are known by our beard. Trust me, because I get, it's funny, we're unknown by our beards too, because a lot of times I get, hey, Pastor Nate, and I'm like, mm. Pastor Nate would be offended. I'm like 70 pounds heavier than Pastor Nate, but I'm getting there. Or, hey, Pastor Randy, and I'm like, no, this is black, that's red. Or, Pastor Jeremy, hey, this is black, that's red. So sometimes our head gives off some confusion to those who witness it. Let that sink in. The image that we're presenting in our body sometimes doesn't represent the headship that leads us. Let that sink in. The body is one. For me, I always say, how can I apply this to life? How can I get from this? Some of you are uh, in, in workplaces that function in a team environment. You depend on other people to work with you. But guess what? In all of those workplaces, there is one individual who is the boss. That might be you. And the reflection, if it's you, if you're the boss, the reflection of the things that your employees do is a reflection on you and your business. If you're not the boss, the reflection of the things that you do in your life is a reflection on the boss. For me, it was at the fire department. I could, I could see it. Day-to-day, day-to-day function inside the fire department, I could go to the battalion chief and I'd say, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, uh, what do you think? And we would go back and forth. But when we went on to an emergency scene, when really the battle was thick, 17 or 18 guys 20, walk on the fire scene. There's one boss, and he's in charge. No one could question the boss on emergency scene. The incident commander on the emergency scene, no one questioned him. You carried out his actions without fail, and you didn't question him. Because at the end of the day, he's got to be the guy on the news giving the report. At the end of the day, if something bad goes wrong and someone dies, he's the guy who's on the incident report that says, who's at fault? Many times in the fire service, the incident commander. So what he says goes. So it is with the body of Christ that when we submit under the complete headship of Christ, what Christ says in our life goes. 
We don't question. We follow faithfully. Through faith, we take steps out and we follow the head. No matter what part we play in the body. So the body is one under the headship of Christ. Some of you might say, well, Pastor Trent, it is a little confusing because it says, for the body is many. Well, what does that mean? Starting at verse 14, it says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If we were all eyes, what would we be doing around here just rolling around? Because the eye sees the need and engages the foot, which travels to the need, which engages the arm that reaches the hand in service to our love, out of love for our brothers and sisters. Without the eye, we would fail to see the need. But if we were all eyes, all we would do is see needs and not care for any of them. The body is many, yet one. You cannot say, if you're sitting in this congregation today, that if I'm a hand and I'm not a foot, I'm not part of the body. <coughs> the church needs you. We need eyes and ears and feet, hands, arms. We need all areas of the body. Uh, what, what does this mean? Well, this is the part of the scripture that we can't cover all in one day, but I want to touch on it. Uh, chapter 12 leads in with all the spiritual gifts of the body. You know, leadership, administration, evangelism, faith, giving, help, service, all of those, many, many more, right? It talks about those things, and it says each one of you is gifted of the Holy Spirit. It is a God-given gift to each of you. Some of you are helps and service people. Praise God for you. I'm not one. I love you, but I have a hard time recognizing. Praise God that he creates those people who Pick up where I'm short. You see, that's why the church needs all of us. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, please stop out that connection table out there. It says connections. We have real you going on in the next month. And in there, the fourth class in that is all about being part of the body, all about serving and what it means to be part of the body. And we help you identify your spiritual gifts. Please sign up for that class. That's all I can give you from that scripture. But here's what I know. Gifts... Gifts, spiritual gifts, point only to God. There is a difference. There's a difference. There is a difference. Please hear me. There's a difference between talents and gifts. Why? Because talents can be learned. Gifts are given. I can't play the piano. There's people who are very talented at playing the piano, but guess what I can do? I can learn how to play the piano. The gift of discernment is a gift. 
How do you practice discernment? You know what that is? That means seeing maybe end results before they ever happen. How do you practice that? You get your ESP on? You can't practice that. That's a God-given gift of the Holy Spirit. Gifts point to God. Talents point to people. So there's a difference. Some of you are sitting here and saying, I'm very talented at doing this. And God gives you the ability to learn those talents. But the Holy Spirit gifts are different. Gifts point to God. It points to the headship of Christ of the church. And everyone is important. Everyone's unique. My top three spiritual gifts, leadership, pastor, teacher, discernment. We could probably survey this whole room, and in that order, spiritual gifts may not show up on anyone else's. You know why? Because that's how God built his church. He places people in it that are needed. Guess what? Encouragement, mercy, unfortunately, helps and service. They're at the bottom of my list. I need you. I need every single part, every single one of you to be connected to the body of the church because that's how God created this church. I might get excited in preaching here. I'm pretty excited that God brought every single one of you into this building today to hear what it's about being united in the body that we could serve and care for our community and each other in an unbelievable way if we submit to the headship of Christ in our life. I heard a woo, I heard it quiet. Woo! That should excite you to know that you're important in the body of Christ. Every single one of you is important in the body of Christ. For me, on the fire scene, I can remember being a rookie and I was on the ambulance and we would drive into a fire. You know what my job was? My job was pull up on the ambulance after the fire truck went in, jump out and stand beside the hydrant. And when the engineer got, make sure the hoses were connected at the truck, he would step out from the truck, he would look back at me 100 yards at the hydrant and go like this. And I would turn the hydrant on. And I would go. That's tough. It was a small job. After I turned the hydrant on, I would walk down to the back of the ambulance and I would get out of the blood pressure cuff and stuff. And when guys who were doing the real work, what I thought, they would come out, I would take their blood pressure, give them a towel, give them a cup of water. Is it fun in there? I, I almost took it like this. I'm standing back at the hydrant, the engineer stepped out, and he'd go, whoo. That's what I was doing in my heart, whoo. See, you had the guy at the hydrant, and then you had the engineer at the truck who would receive the water, and he would put it through the pump of the truck, who would put it through the hose that would go inside to the firefighter in the end of the hose with the lieutenant crawling with him, assisting and pointing directions and telling him what to do. And there was an instant commander outside, and there was ladder companies that were outside, and they were putting ladders up to windows. They were cutting hose in your roof and knocking out your window. There really is a reason for that. I know it, it doesn't seem right sometimes. But there's a reason they do that. And they would provide rescue and they would provide overhaul. That's tearing out the walls to make there's no fire inside the walls. 
so that your house didn't catch your back on fire. And then we had this RIT crew. It looked like all they did, this rapid intervention team, all they did is they just threw equipment in the front yard on this tarp, and everybody's going, what are they doing? They're, just empty. They're like cleaning the trucks out today. But every person had a role. Every person had a role. Now, what those guys were doing, laying out all the equipment on that tarp, they were preparing for if something went wrong inside there and that firefighter and that lieutenant inside had trouble, one of them were injured or one of them worse, they would be prepared. They would have every piece of equipment ready and available that at a second's notice, the mayday call would come out. They would head into the house and they would have every saw, every pike pole, everything they needed to prepare. Everyone had a purpose. And everyone, every purpose, every single purpose was connected. Every purpose was connected. And that's what it gives us in Scripture, that the body is connected. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. You see, every part, no matter how little or small or how menial It is. Every spiritual gift given by God was meant for a reason. Every single last one. And everyone is connected. Everyone is connected. Hear me, church. I can't do church without you. Look to your neighbor beside you and say, I need you. Now look to the one to the other side of you. I don't know why you chose them second. Maybe they're the lesser part, but look to them and say, I need you too. You see that little illustration? One you may give more honor to, that's your wife or your kid or what, but the other one you need just as much. And so it is with the church that we need each other to function because my little menial job on the fire ground, I turn in the hydrant on and then walking back to the ambulance like this. My little menial job, how is that connected to the overall body of the team? You see, we practiced it every week. Every single week we practiced over and over and over and over and over again. So it is with the body of Christ. If you're in your word every week and you're practicing, if you're on your knees in prayer every week and you're practicing, it builds faith. And when faith comes time for the battle, faith wins because you're prepared and it becomes second nature when the things go wrong in your life and you're driven to your knees. It's second nature that you would depend on God because you've practiced over and over and over and over. And the tough things in the battle that get to your life, you're prepared and you're ready. It becomes second nature. What happens when things go bad in your life? You hit your knees. 
You dig into the word, you become real. It's time that the practice is over and that the battle is fought. Every single aspect is connected. And my little job, turning the hydrant, guess what? If I said, I'm not doing it today. This is menial. Somebody else can turn that hydrant. If I didn't turn that hydrant, water didn't get to the truck. If water didn't get to the truck, the engineer couldn't put it through the line to the firefighter on the end, and men died because I didn't do my little job. Because I thought my little job wasn't important. If you're sitting here in the church today and you say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, I can tell people I love them, but that's all I got. That's a gift of encouragement. And if you think that doesn't matter, ask a pastor who's struggling, bearing the weight of the church, what it means to have someone come up to him in his church and say, I'm with you. I love you. I'm encouraging you. I'm taking care of you. I'm lifting you up, pastor. I'm praying for you. If you think your spiritual gift doesn't matter, you're wrong. Every single one matters and everyone's connected. Because if the encouragement doesn't come, then the pastor burns out. Every one of us are subject to it. If the encouragement doesn't come for our brothers and sisters in our life group, then we grow weary of what church is. If the care doesn't come to that person you just looked to and said, I need you, if that care doesn't come, we die. Everyone is connected. Because if that care doesn't come, we start losing them. We start losing pastors who burn out. We start losing ministry that cares for people in the deepest realms of life. And that's not church. That's not what God designed his church to be. How crazy is it to think that I'm saying, I'm a hand. I'm a hand. I'm here as a hand. But I don't have a voice in what's going on because God didn't call you to be a mouth. He called you to be a hand. And you're not submitting under the full authority of God if you say, I want to be the mouth. That's not your gifting. I'm sorry. I'm not the mouth a lot of times. I'm the belly. But guess what? The mouth that feeds the belly depends on the hand to lift the fork. Oh, you have a job. You have a role. It's powerful. It's powerful when the body works right. How crazy is it that we as members of the body when we feel like I want to be a foot, I'm not a hand. But you're really a hand. How crazy is it to the thought that says, well, I'm just going to use the other hand. I'm going to lop myself off from the body. <laughs> Anybody ever amputated your limb on purpose? Because it's crazy. It's crazy. But how often do we say, I'm a hand, and I don't feel like being a hand anymore. I want to be a foot. And we lop ourselves off from the body just to say, let me transplant myself to another body where I'm the foot. What would that body look like with a hand on its end of its leg? It'd walk funny. 
And churches today are walking funny. Come on, I heard it, amen. Churches today are walking funny because we got hands on our feet and we got eyes on the ends of our arms. We got people who's serving in roles that they ain't gifted to serving because they want to be there. And they aren't submitting to the headship of Christ because it's not the body that you're on, it's the submission of the body to the headship. That's it. And for us to grasp that, we have to say, where am I attached to the body? What is my role? Now, Christ, how do you want me to live it out? Not, hand, I got to look at the foot, I got to see the mouth, I got to hear the ear. No, you're a hand. What's Christ telling you as a hand to do as a hand? That's submission to the headship of Christ. The body's not just connected, it's unified. 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That does not, hang on just a second. God just gave me something. That doesn't mean if you're suffering, you got to make everybody else suffer. Come on, misery loves company, doesn't it? So if I'm in a bad place, let me help you get there with me. That's not what it means to be unified in the body. That if I'm suffering, I'm struggling, let me tear you down so you know what it feels like. That's not what God intended his church to be. Hey, I'm living free up here. God gave me 1 Corinthians 12. I needed to hear it. That Trent, stop abdicating your role in the body of Christ. I called you to do something. I called you to be bold and passionate. I called you to teach the word of God. Now do it. Yes, Lord. I got to preach myself true. When you're submitted under the headship of Christ, it brings about a new freedom like you've never experienced before that you will be serving through freedom in the role that God created you to be. Whoa. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you a story. I told you, we trained and rehearsed fire after fire after fire. Here's what we would do if this fire happened. Here's what we do in the industrial fire. Here's what we do in a house fire. Here's what we do in an emergency medical situation. Here's what we, all of them. Inside out and upside down. I was in the fire department for 17 years. And I don't know if there was a scenario that we didn't try to recreate over and over and over and over again. Are we doing reverse lays again today? We just did it 46 times last week. Yet we're going to do it again until it becomes second nature. That we would be unified in our role inside the body. What does that look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. I can remember one night we're toned out about two o'clock in the morning. To a structure fire, just a general house fire. We're toned out at two o'clock in the morning, and we show up on the scene. I'm the second riding ambulance. I'm no longer the rookie. And so I got assigned, hey, take level two. That's the second story. The first arriving engine company, they took level one. I remember pulling around the corner. I remember seeing the little dude get out to do his hiding work, looking at me on the front porch going, I wish I was that dude. 
I can remember getting to the front porch and I can remember being this little old lady standing in the front door like this. Smoke coming out over her head. As we pulled up on the scene, there's smoke rolling out the eaves of the house. The windows aren't blacked out. They look good. No fire visible. But there's smoke rolling out the eaves of the house. And this little lady in the front door without hardly any clothes on. Let public service announcement. You interrupt this message for a public service announcement. If you sleep at night and you don't have any clothes on, you might want to consider, reconsider that. Because if a fire happens, everybody knows. So this lady is standing in the front door and she's like, this is my house, you can't make me leave. She was wrong. But that's how life happens inside the body when you're functioning. You know your role, but sometimes a roadblock puffs up and you didn't train for the little old nearly naked lady standing in the doorway. That's something you never trained for. How do you train for that? But that little lady, we helped off the front porch. I, I, we hit our knees because that's what firefighters do. We crawl in. A lot of people think we hit our knees to get below the smoke. We hit our knees because we're praying what's on the other side. And I can remember crawling through the door. And I remember going, well, there ain't no smoke in here. That should have been a clue. I didn't get it. There's smoke rolling out over top of her head, but there ain't no smoke in the house. What in the world? So I remember just walking up the steps. Going to the upstairs, and you know what? Smoke rises. There should be smoke. If there's smoke anywhere, it should be upstairs. I'm looking around. I'm like, it's as clear as this room. That should have been a clue. So me and my partner and two other guys are searching around the upstairs. It's a pretty good-sized house. It didn't look very big on the outside, but it's a pretty good-sized house. We're opening every closet, every looking for attic access because apparently it's in the roof. Smoke's pouring out. Well, there ain't smoke in the rest of the house. That should have been a clue. And on the front porch, somebody puts up a fan, a positive pressure fan. And I can remember walking into the hallway, still looking. And I can remember noticing there's smoke trickling out of the light switch. That should have been a clue. And I can remember hearing the sound of the fan on the front porch firing up. And the next thing I know, I'm on my belly, flat in the floor going, what? just happened it got really really hot in here all of a sudden and i can't see anything it's pitch black that should have been a clue i can remember crawling into the little back bathroom i remember there was a window in there i took my flashlight off my gear and i'm banging on that window until the window falls out because when you vent an opening like that that's why they knock your windows out by the way when you vent that out and that fan's running it blows smoke out and everything clears up and all's grand but it didn't it got hotter that should have been a clue i can hear radio chatter downstairs they're experiencing the same thing i'm experiencing And I can remember the evacuation horns sounding on the engine, and I can remember crawling down the steps, head first on my belly, to get out of the house, me and my partner. And I can remember getting to the front yard, and that lady who now has a blanket on standing in the front yard, and I can remember for the next six hours as she watched as everything she had burnt down. And we talked about this fire afterwards, and we said, what happened? Well, there's one, I mean, Positive pressure fans are controversial in the fire service anyway. A lot of people say don't use them on any house fire. But there's one particular house fire you never use them on. It's called Balloon Frame Construction. 
which means there's no fire stops in the walls. So now a fire in the basement, the next place that shows up is in the attic, even though there's two stores in, stories in between. And guess what happens to everything in the middle? It becomes a chimney, and we were in that chimney. And we should have caught it, but we didn't. And you know what a unified body looks like? A unified body sits in that meeting, and they say, Trent, what do you got? Boss, I, I saw smoke coming out of the light switches. I noticed there was no smoke in the house, but there was smoke coming out of the frame above that lady's head. I should have noticed it. It was Bloom Frank Construction, boss. I missed it. I'm sorry. And then a lieutenant on the first floor saying, hey, uh, we noticed the same kind of thing. I noticed this. I should have I known it was Bloom Frank Construction, boss. I missed it. In Bloom Frank Construction, windows are lined up specifically right over top of each other. We should have caught that, but there's a big front porch across the front of it, but boss, first arriving engine company, I missed it. And then the boss stands up, and you guys, it's not your fault. It's not all your fault. I'm going to walk around. I walked around the house because that's what the boss does when he shows up on the scene. He says, I noticed no, uh, there was no steps into the basement. But now in the daylight, there's two windows that said that there was a basement in this house, and I didn't see it in the dark. I missed it, guys. I let you down. I'm sorry. That's what a unified body does. They suffer together. They say, I get it, boss. I dropped my role. I left it. Sorry, I missed it. See, the unified body says, when one suffers, they all suffer. So if you stub your toe and you break your big toe, it's upon the shoulders to say, I will bear the pain of crutches. If you've used crutches, you know it's painful under your armpits, right? The shoulders will say, I'll bear the pain of crutches so that you can get better. The left leg says to the right leg, I'll bear the weight of the body for a time being so you don't have to. That's what a unified body looks like. You see, after that fire, we talked. And you know what we decided after that fire? It will never happen again. We will not learn from our mistakes. We will not not learn from our mistakes. We will learn from what we missed. We'll do better. We'll persevere. We'll not do that. And that we would encourage each other. Yeah, maybe we failed this time, but my, my uh, battalion chief looks at me and said, Trent, it's not your fault, buddy. It's not just your fault. You can't bear that load. Let me bury that, bear that with you. Jeff, it's not your fault. Let me bear that load with you. That's what a unified body looks like. And it says, on the other side of this, we will be smarter. We will be better. We'll be more equipped. We'll be better ready. We'll be more prepared. And on the other side of this, there's victory because the next house won't burn down. We'll see the windows are lined up. We'll see that there's a basement. We'll see that there's smoke coming out of the light switches. We will never do that again. We'll be better for the struggle. You know what the Bible says? It's very clear. Romans chapter 5. I am upside down and inside out. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Praise the Lord that we can rejoice in our suffering. That on the other side of this test is a powerful testimony. Even this test. Church, I'll be transparent. I'm suffering. I know you are too. That's okay. That's when the body is bound tighter together in one. Under the headship of Christ and say, God, direct us. The next step. Where do I go? What do I do? What's my role? How can I contribute, God? You see, there's joy on the other side of suffering. The same man that wrote those words wrote the words to Corinth and said, suffering. Each body member suffers together when one suffers. Powerful words to heed. We are one body. But get that last part, church. As the worship team's about to play, because I'm out of time. I'm like out of time a few minutes ago. Sorry. Get those last words, because when one member is honored, all rejoice together. On the other side of every test is a powerful testimony. About a year and a half ago, I did a study of 42 prayers that Paul prayed for his people. At not one point, not one point in Paul's 42 prayers, as he paid for the churches that he planted, at not one point did he say, God, remove that obstacle from them. God, remove that suffering from them. Not one time did he say, God, remove that from them. You know what his prayer was? Every time when a church is struggling, every time, every time, he said, God, help them to endure the test. Because on the other side of every test is a powerful testimony of what God is doing in the church. If you're here tonight or this morning and you don't know what it means to be part of the body, you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, you don't even know what I'm talking about. And if that's okay, because you can know, and I would love to share with you, as they start playing, that's your cue. If you don't know what it means to be saved in the body of Christ, the Christ broken on the cross for your sins, I would love to share with you. I'll talk with you right up here. We can pray together. Let me encourage you. But church, let me encourage you that while suffering, we suffer in unity as a connected body, one with the other. So on the other side, we can rejoice together. Because if we don't suffer together, there's no way on the other side of the test we'll be able to rejoice together. So church, if you're suffering here, if you're suffering and you want someone to pray with you, that's what we're here for, to suffer with you, to encourage you. I'm about to fall off the stage. Someone will pray with you over there. If you want to pray by yourself, if this is deep introspective and you're like, God, I'm, I'm a hand and I'm trying to be a mouth. I'm a hand, I'm trying to be a foot. Show me, God, where you've placed me, where you've gifted me. If you want to pray by yourself because that's where you're at right now, pray by yourself over here. But if you need to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, here's what I need you to know. If you're lost today, there is time that's coming that suffering is no more. You don't have to have someone to suffer with. We'll rejoice with you today. We'll rejoice with you today. And church, when we get up from here, as we head into our community to minister and serve Indian River County and beyond, we can rejoice together if we are one. Go ahead and respond as they play. Let's stand, church.
prayer partners are over here. I'd love to pray with you. You want to pray alone over here or just come up and seek the Lord for whatever he's doing in your life. Let's sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Fiercest out and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand.
loving for each other and our community and the world. I love you. I love each and every one of you. As you go through these doors, as we part these doors and we head into our community, we go and today we say, no more do we abdicate my role. Today we say, God, wherever you lead me through Christ in me, may I serve as one and be part of the body that you called me to be. Go in peace, church. I love you. Go get them. They're out there. They're dying and going to hell. And they need us to live as one to encourage them. Go get them, church. I love you.